All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Liars. My name is Ryan Goke and with me in our studio via Zoom, I have Marcelo Gonzalez. Hey, everyone. Joshua Hendricks. How's it going, everyone? And Austin Ivey. Hello, everybody. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. It's always a good time when we get back together and have an opportunity to do our heated or at least educational discussions. Today, we are going to be discussing the minimum wage. So where shall we begin? I say right off the top, um, the minimum wage has stayed the same for a very long time. Um, Even as productivity has risen and the GDP has risen and as executive and manager pay has gone up, And as inflation has increased, our minimum wage um, has not. And I think it's a special issue today because we have a lot of like misconceptions about who are our minimum wage workers here in America, when in fact, most minimum wage, the largest population uh, working that are single mothers. So this isn't even just something that these are jobs for teenagers or high schoolers, but something that really runs like throughout our economy. And especially when we consider in the past the pandemic, there were a lot of people we called essential workers who are indeed, you know, working minimum wage and risking their lives. As always, I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I, I would say, uh, starting with, with, I guess, my, my point of view is that I feel that the minimum wage should be taken maybe a little bit differently. And like, I feel like right now, the minimum wage is being used as a mechanism to prevent people from being exploited. Um, and like, you cannot pay any somebody any less than this when in reality i feel like it should be i guess more of what josh said which is like there's people here who are not using it as stepping stone they're not using it as something they do like during high school they're not using it as something to do it on the side but this is how they actually maintain their families so should minimum wage account for that should indeed be raised or be changed in a way that reflects those changes in the economy and be able to sustain a family uh of our many members uh, with that amount. Some main things that we'll have to discuss as we get into this is definitely going to be what are the benefits of raising the minimum wage? Does raising the minimum wage actually address the harms that we talk about? I'm sure that there will be a lot of overlap on the grounds that um, we can agree on. Some things that I kind of predict we will see some overlap on at least our values or our goals by you know the end of this or with whatever our our uh, our path to achieving that goal might be would probably be things like higher wages in general for people. We'd also like to see um, high values of the dollar, right? Because one of the risks with minimum wage is that you can damage the value of the dollar in the market. There is that risk. You also uh, would probably be able to see some common ground in low cost of living and also a high standard of living, right? Those are some things that we kind of strive for within our economic system is to make sure that people are employed. People have the opportunity to make money. They can make as much you know, as they can that they don't get exploited. I feel like those will be values that we will potentially see overlap in, in the cases. And then whether or not the minimum wage is the way to achieve that would certainly be up for discussion. I think you're muted, Austin. That was a yawn, my good man. I'm sorry. Ah, already boring him. I am so sorry. <laughs> Just sleep deprivation. So I think one of the important things to consider about minimum wage is that inflation changes with or without minimum wage increases. So in 2009, when the minimum wage was last increased to 725, where it is now, 725 was worth 725. But now, coming here to 2021, an item you bought in 2009 for 725 is now going to run you about $8.90. So the purchasing power of these families, if the minimum wage stays stagnant, is going to decrease. Like, since their bosses aren't obviously, you know, giving them wages because it, you know, increases and pay increases because it's a minimum wage position, um, we need to be at least adjusting, you know, to match inflation or to at least provide cost of living increases to our minimum wage, or else we're just leaving a whole class of people to be left behind and suffer the effects of inflation while claiming we're doing it to protect us from inflation. One of the things that we'll also have to unpack, and I'll just address this real quick, is you do have minimum wages at the federal level as well as the state level. And I think that most of this discussion is probably going to revolve around the federal level because the states themselves tend to adjust for their own cost of living to an extent. Uh, places like California, that's not going to be nearly enough to cover your expenses there. No one can afford to live in California, hardly. But With the federal level, what's important to remember about the current concept, and Marcelo critiqued this a little bit, um, but the 
current concept of the minimum wage at the federal level is that it is a baseline. It is the lowest someone can possibly be paid and still be employed in the market. And as Josh mentioned earlier, that's um, the original intention was for the unskilled people to have those jobs. Typically, the, that when it was first out was it was those who are working a side job at high school where they don't necessarily depend on that job as their sole source of income. What we're seeing today, as Josh also mentioned, is that more people are working minimum wage jobs, and that is their primary source, and at times, especially if it's a single mother, their only source of income, which then leads to the question of, should we raise this at the federal level? And if so, what would be the benefits and what would be the costs? I would kick this off probably by saying that from my perspective, it's going to be important to keep in mind what is the original intent? What was the reasoning for this and what was it crafted around? So if it's crafted as the baseline, then to raise the minimum wage artificially is going to have a effects up the ladder. We're going to see that more people are going to have their their dollar value decreased and or they're going to see fewer jobs um, available for them, whether it be because um, a company decides to automate and replace them or whether they decide to just not fill as many because their budget can't handle it, which means that if we raise the minimum wage, let's say to 15, because that's the popular discussion right now at the national level, you're doubling the minimum wage which at face value sounds good, but there's a couple of repercussions. The first is that if I'm an employer, I'm not actually able to employ the same number of people for that rate. Let's say that I had a $30 budget, and this is obviously scaled way down for <laughs> sake of discussion. But if I have $30, right, I could, I could hire four and a half people. I don't know how the half person works, but I could have hired about four and a half people. Well, now at $15 an hour, I can hire two, which means I'm presented with this dilemma. What am I going to do? My options are automate, right? We see this with McDonald's. We see this with um, the drones at Amazon in instances. We see this with uh, Walmart. We now check ourselves out because they don't hire as many cashiers. My second option might be to outsource. I either move my company and the shell is here, but all of my worker and where all of my taxes take place are in a different country that doesn't have this same labor regulations. Or I might also outsource by putting the labor towards a country that does it for significantly less. I might do it in a place like Taiwan or China or Indonesia where they don't have the same cost of labor because I'm being driven out. So that's kind of what happens with these jobs and becomes an issue as why people are are not going to be able to make their money and afford their cost of living. So I guess uh, one question to go back to what Josh said before um, uh, Ryan talked last is that one of the, like, just looking at the last increase, 2009, 725, now that 725 uh, is 890, I think uh, Josh said. Does anybody disagree with the fact that maybe it should be 890 now? Like, is anybody like, no, 725 right now. It's like, it's it's as okay now as it was in 2009. Because I feel like there's a lot of um, discussion that can be had. And uh, when, Ryan, you mentioned uh, it, artificial increase, which I, on part I agree, I feel like a jump from 725 overnight to $15, which I don't think has been argued uh, in the in the house anyways. Uh, but, but a jump that high, that drastic in places that have really low wages already would probably... Uh, mean a lot of job loss. Uh, I don't have the stats to back it up, but I, I think we can make the logical conclusion that an increase that big and that sudden would would, would mean uh, a lot of disadvantages. But it would not be artificial if we were, like Josh said, going through inflation. So is anybody here disagreeing with the fact that maybe minimum wage should be paired to inflation? I don't suppose I see any issues with it, but it seems like... Um... Um, my knowledge on the minimum wage isn't super extensive, but they seem like pretty arbitrary numbers as far as like the value of 725, even scaling up to 890 to keep the value the same. Uh, I guess why is 725 the value that we're going with? I don't know. Does that make sense? I don't necessarily have an issue with scaling up for inflation to get us back to 2009's value, but it seems like a lot of the values that are thrown out of minimum wage seem to be arbitrary, if that makes sense. Yeah. For sure. And to touch up on something else Ryan was talking about with automation, I think automation is going to come regardlessly because it's a one-time cost within maybe some upkeep. Because even right now, federal minimum wage comes out to $15,000.80 and change um, per year, you know, before taxes. So that's already, (laughs) that's already quite um, a hard living standard. And so even like push to a company of like, okay, 
I'll buy this one time $100,000 machine and fire, you know, 10 people making, you know, 15, you know, 725 an hour. And, you know, I will make uh, more money in that year from the $15,000. So I think as like robotic technology gets better, like automation is going to come whether we like it or not, no matter what wages are. Um, I also think this can even be better seen than like how uh, productivity and GDP has risen while just overall worker comp- compensation like has risen. So since 1980, uh, worker productivity um, is up about uh, 252%. Now, at the same time, worker pay is up 15%. And this isn't even just minimum wage. This is just measuring the economy of whole of that. We are doing far, far more than we were in the past, but not receiving anywhere near like a uh, comparable com- or compensation. This can also be paralleled with like executive pay has skyrocketed in the past in the past years. In fact, since um, 1978, CEO pay is up 940%. CEO pay is up 940% and worker pay is up 15%. Um, so I don't see the market providing any solution because it really does like seem to be the current path of What's cheaper, you know, you know, is going always to be the option. And automation is always going to provide for that, especially with our growing trend of, you know, stalling worker pay, even as companies have made, you know, more and more money. And at some sense, how much are we subsidizing businesses who don't deserve to be in business because they can't pay their employees well with like the human lives of these minimum wage workers? Like if you can't pay your employees decently, do you deserve to be in business at all? I would add to that is that what happens when em- employers cannot pay or like can't afford to pay the people enough to live, then that also some of that responsibility calls, uh, falls on the government as well. Uh, food stamps, um, housing subsidies, all of that cost goes somewhere. And in, in this case, it doesn't go to the companies, but it goes to the government. So these businesses even like should they pay more? Because if they can't pay any more, then where does that responsibility go? I think I'm open to the conversation of paying employees more, but I would like to see kind of what Austin mentioned earlier, a little bit more clear metric on how that should be set. Because one of Biden's campaign promises that he ran on uh, was that he would get it up to $15 an hour. And like Austin mentioned, we don't really see a metric for how that's determined. The same is kind of true in the way that Josh mentioned it just a second ago, that we don't see them having a quote unquote uh, fair wage or, you know, Bernie Sanders calls it slave wages and things like that. But we don't really see a metric for that. Fairness is very subjective, which means you have to have a value in order to apply it. So what would you think would be a fair wage and how would we determine that? What would be a good way to actually set that other than the example of a CEO making more than an employee? Because in a capitalistic environment, you are incentivized to take risks. You are incentivized to innovate. As a result of that, if you are successful in that, you make more. So while I would say that there are times that CEO salaries are excessive, I would say that it makes sense that they are paid more because they've incurred more risk than an employee who doesn't have the same skill set. So I'll I'll repeat the question because I kind of went off on a tangent there. Uh, What would you say is a fair metric to make sure that these are fair wages and when would we consider something to be fair? I I can take this one. Um, So I feel like a... Fair wage, um, I think it has also been called the living wage, is a measure. It, it's it's just taken into account of how much it costs to actually live. So you take into account the utilities, uh, house, rent, whatever, um, uh, food. And in the case of like if you have dependents, how much do the, those dependents need to be able to live a, a life? Uh, now, obviously, like is being a like is being in a one bedroom apartment with three other people alive is being in a mansion alive, right? And 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 I feel like that's where the discussion could come in. My personal opinion is that I guess uh, comfortably comfortably living, um, it would would definitely have to fall into the category of like at least you know one house one house per household or something. Like it it, it needs to be something. Um, where the, I, I guess it's more humane than, than packing a bunch of people inside of the same apartment. Um, so I feel like that would be my definition of unfair wages. Like here in DC, uh, it's $15 minimum wage. And I can tell you I've worked in minimum wage positions, doesn't get you very far 
either. Like you'll have to live outside of DC to work here um, to afford that. Um, so again, even I, I would say like I agree, minimum wage is even like not even what is minimum. Like who 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 said that? If you frame it in a different way, it's like okay, how much do you actually need to live? Then maybe that's something m more real for people to to grab onto. Yeah, and it our, needs to be higher. Yeah. So our current federal poverty line for an individual is twelve thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars. Now, for a family of two, that rises to um, seventeen thousand four hundred and twenty dollars. So twenty five ish percent of minimum wage workers are single mothers. So they're already bare minimal hitting that federal uh, poverty line for a, you know two family members at a minimum. Um, and I definitely think that's also like something you could, you know, to consider that, you know, at that moment, the government is subsidizing these businesses because they don't pay their employees, uh, through WIC, through food stamps, through Medicare and Medicaid. And that is an unnecessary burden of like the government and a free subsidy. These companies don't, um, deserve to be getting, um, through paying their employees, employees less. I also think in the terms and categories of risk, a low-wage low worker who gets in a car wreck on the way to work then goes bankrupt out of you know, crippling amounts of medical debt is taking far more real risk than um, some person gambling with a lot of extra money they already have on a bet they're going to make more money. So I don't, and so at the point of like where people are like in material danger or not having access to medicine or to like having their heating or air shut off, like during a terrible storm or, you know, uh, abnormal weather, those are like real physical and material like risk to like human bodies, even more so than like um, losing some money. Um, and so I think at the point of like where, you know, people aren't able to provide, you know, for themselves or buy, you know, uh, good food or have to, you know, make other like compromises or not go to the doctor because they can't afford to, that's a lot of risk they're taking. Um, and it's a risk they're almost being like forced to take, you know, here's what we're going to pay you. And there's, you know, nothing you can really do about it. I would respond to the concept of risk. Um, when I said it earlier, what I meant was the financial risk, which Josh, you did touch on. Uh, and I know you meant that. And I know you weren't trying to like misrepresent. Um, but for an employee, the risk to life is the same risk that we all like. I, I, I can I can get in a car wreck. Josh can get in a car wreck. Like anybody can get in a car wreck. And if you have no money, then the the damage that can be done, especially if you have to go into debt, like you mentioned, Josh, is going to be significantly higher than someone who can afford it. But as far as what is invested and that's what you're paid off of, then, you know, if an if, if an employee makes a mistake, if if they, you know, encounter a problem, there's less damage that can be done to the company. There's also less that they personally invest into that company. They signed on to work and they're paid either salary or by the hour. A CEO takes that problem home with him all the time, right? This is kind of the similar problem that happens. Um, I've worked in both the industry and in academia. In the industry, it's a nine to five, eight to, you know, whatever it happens to be. You clock out at the end of the day, you're done. You don't have to think about it until you go back home. If you're a grad student or you're working in academia, you are constantly enveloped, especially since the pandemic. We are always involved in our work. I'm always thinking about grading, teaching. It's It follows you home. The same is true for a CEO. So, they have an emotional toll that takes place. They've got a higher risk. If the company goes under, they've got more to lose because they've got everything that they've invested. An employee's out of job, they go find another job. It's not the same level of risk in that particular instance. They might carry more when it comes to personal risk and finances. But as far as the company goes and what they're evaluated on and what they're paid off of, it's not quite the same type of risk or the same level of risk is what I would say. Yeah. But if poverty wasn't so dangerous to an individual, that CEO wouldn't be taking risk. If we weren't all so afraid to not be able to pay our bills, what would be the actual harm in losing money? But the harm is you might end up poor, but we've created an entire legal caste of people who we are functionally are like below the poverty line um, through the way, like way they're paid. And so in some sense, like they are living the actual risk of being poor that the CEO is taking every day of their life. And so like in the sense of like, we would actually benefit, you know, CEOs risk taking as well, if there were like less harms of being poor, like if your business going under didn't mean losing absolutely everything you own and possibly, you know, just, you know, having nothing, 
then there wouldn't be that risk. But that risk um, is there because of minimum wage laws and the very you know, loose social safety net that uh, the United States has. So then that kind of raises the question, will minimum wage actually address the poverty harms that you're talking about? I think that we would all agree that poverty is a problem. Uh, poverty has extensive damage that can be done. If you are in the lowest bracket or even if you're lower middle class, you don't have the type of capital gains that you can just throw out. You you have a harder time um, not living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. And there's a lot of issues that go along with that. But then the question is, will raising the minimum wage solve for that. And I think the double bind that this conversation puts on the people in favor of raising the minimum wage is a reasonable one to kind of just correct would be the eight and change an hour. But then the question becomes, is that enough to create a sustainable living expenses? Is it going to meet the needs in society? Well, if the answer is no, then we have to look at more. And as you increase it, then you incur the problems that go along with it. Let's say $15 an hour, we we had the data to say that this will make it sustainable. Well, now you've encountered all of the issues that we talked about earlier and knocked it down to eight to kind of avoid. I, I think uh, if we're going to argue like, let's not increase it too high or we might see it, uh, you know, we, we might see a lot of disadvantages, then I would say, well, why not lower it? You know, why, why not make it $5? Why not make it $3? Like, what's the problem? Like, what's the big deal? I feel like there needs to be a, 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 a middle ground and I, I feel like the middle ground is going to be higher than it actually is right now. And I cannot promise you that it's going to solve every problem that we have, but I would like to not worry about my next paycheck uh, at the risk of, you know, not being able to pay rent. You know, I, that's, I would, I would be happy to, to, to have that security. And I feel, I do believe that just simply having more money would create more security. Again, I, 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 I'm a proponent of raising the minimum wage. I still don't think that's going to solve any problems. That's definitely not going to solve any problems in D.C. where it's already 15, right? They might raise it, who knows, but they might not. Um, but I can tell you that it's going to make things better. It seems like um, as far as the discussion of risk and um, everything along with that goes, particularly financial risk, a lot of that, in my mind, seems to boil down to a function of individual choice, at least in my mind for the majority of it. I guess taking my own living conditions, for example, you know, I live in a smaller college town in Tennessee. I'm working part-time um, at, you know, FedEx package handling. Great. It's all fine and dandy. Um, but working part-time, making less than the you know proposed $15 minimum wage, I'm able to pay my living expenses, um, able to do school at the same time, and I'm able to actually live very comfortably. Um, so, I don't know. It seems that if I did, you know, if I chose to go to a larger city, like if I decide to move back to Nashville, there's no way I can make it on what I'm making. But since I've made the choice to live in a smaller town, uh, pursuing education in a smaller town and working in a smaller town, it doesn't seem to, it's not an issue for me. I guess what I'm trying to get at is where does income mobility and the choice that goes along with that, where does that play into this conversation? It seems for a lot of people that um, a federally mandated minimum wage at the very least wouldn't help necessarily as much as far as making it as living day to day. Obviously, if I was making more money, I could save more, I guess, but uh, it wouldn't help me live more comfortably than I do at the moment. I'm, you know, living within my means as I am at the moment. But Austin, wouldn't you like, well, I guess it also falls back on personal decision, but like, wouldn't the option to move to Nashville without having to sacrifice so much be nice? Like it, it would be nice to have the option to move there without having to compromise, like, you know, oh, I'm going to have to earn this much more money and I'm going to have to pay for these many more expenses, which is obviously a choice that you're making. But in my opinion, like, I would like to have that choice um, without having to consider, like, oh, like all of these other things. Uh, and I feel like better, more choices and more options and easier choices would probably be better. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Um as far as being able to move which to whichever area I would like to, like at this very moment would be super nice. Um, but at the end of the day, it seems in my mind that the financial aspects of my current living situation do have to be a factor. Um, like one of the reasons I don't live in Nashville is because of the financial situation. It seems as if we're trying to take the financial aspect of the decision-making and make it negligible, if that makes sense. Is, while it would be nice for me to move somewhere else, if um, you know, I don't necessarily have to do that, 
you know, that's just a decision that has to be made sometimes. And I think that's something we need to, you know, I'm, I don't know, as far as I'm at where I'm at right now, I'm fairly comfortable with that. Maybe in the future, you know, with income mobility the way it is, I could get to the point where I could move to Nashville and get a bigger, better job. I think personal choice also brings up this idea of incentives. If I want to move somewhere else, I'm incentivized to find a way to get there or I accept where I'm at. And when one need outweighs the other, that's when I will move. So when I am incentivized to the point of innovating or bettering myself in such a way that I can afford that, then I'm going to move down that track. Or if I'm not that interested in living in Nashville, then I'm comfortable with where I'm at. So I'm kind of doing this individual assessment. The problem that I'm seeing with the minimum wage being determined um, by a, a living wage, then the question becomes, well, how do we determine who has the right to live where or who has the right to do what things? We have to kind of move up the stream at that point and look at, okay, well, how are we going to see this impacting other people? If a living wage becomes a right, so we let's say that we rewrote our capitalistic structure to where everyone is just guaranteed a living wage. Well, now how do we determine who lives where? I think it kind of just, it doesn't fix the problem. It just shifts the question of how do we address this? because everybody wants to live in Nashville. Nashville's overcrowded now. What keeps some of the overcrowding at bay is, are you able to financially live there? If not, then you you don't move there. So with the minimum wage being set and remembered as the bare minimum, then you have people who are doing the bare minimum for the bare minimum job, right? Three things that influence your marketability is going to be your education, your experience, and your skills. If you improve any of those three things, you move beyond the minimum wage. And if the company doesn't do that, then you can leave. Again, individual choice. But I, I feel like targeting those three things and making it more accessible to other people, right? If, if a single mother can only be qualified for a minimum wage job, then raising the minimum wage is not going to fix her or her family's problem in that instance. Instead, what would be a longer, better solution would be find a way to increase either her educational value, her skill set, or her experience rather than artificially inflating it to meet a quote-unquote livable standard of, of wages. I mean, but the whole concept of how much a CEO gets paid and how much value they produce is artificial and absolutely made up. Their salaries have no basis into what they produce because different companies will make a whole lot more money than other companies and their CEOs will still be paid less than others. Um, what I find interesting about what you, you, know, you said of like, you know, of like how do we balance, you know, a couple of these uh, different factors um, I'm not sure if we want to be using class as a method of society control and still, you know, think we're a free and open democracy. If we're straight paying, you know, straight saying, hey, um, you were born into a poor family and because they don't have, you know, they're already working two jobs just to pay the bills and you are in a poor neighborhood and um, property taxes pay for your school. And so you go to a poorer school because it was designed that way. So the richer you are, the richer your schools are, and you get a bad education and you don't go to college. And this, you know, cycle of poverty keeps repeating without much intervention. Um, and I'm not sure if that's the way we want to like say, yeah, we're, we're a free and open society where people can be what they want. Um, just sorry if, you know, you got the unlucky straw here. Um, I'm not sure that represents the equality and American dream we have because, you know, when we actually look at the ability to move across um, like class stratifications, you are more likely to move down in stratification generation to generation than you are to move up. The poor are getting poor and the select few of the rich are getting richer. Well, even a lot of our upper middle class um, is getting uh, poor while the super rich um, keep getting richer. And, you know, to some extent that we're like living in a like 21st century version of the Gilded Era, where instead of it being an oil and rail railroad boom, it's a silicon and, uh, you know, microprocessor boom, where we have, you know, vast new empires that are making so much money. Um, and we're not seeing like the day to day, like, person's lives improved and that brings into the question well you know what do we want out of the economy if the economy is only generating money for a very few people and forcing everyone else into worse and worse living conditions is this something you know we want because at that point we're treating humans as parts you know for the economy like 
it's okay if someone dies in poverty, unable to afford medicine because we were able to maintain the economy. That human lives becomes a currency to be traded amongst the economy. And in the same sense, like we all don't think, you know, it's, it's very profoundly American to say, you know, we don't serve the government. The government works for us. You know, we, we put them there. We can take them out of there. The government is not in control. We, the people, are in control. But then we turn to the economy and go, well, you know, this is going to hurt some of our really rich people. So it's best to give away our rights, our ability to live where we want to live, our ability to, you know, eat what we want to eat and get the medicine we want in order to preserve that as if we are servants of this economic system and that it's not our tool. You know, I view the economy as a tool for improving human life. And if it's not doing that, then the economy is fundamentally broken. And even if it's improving the life for a very few people, that's not good enough because we're a, you know, a united country and we're supposed to be doing things for the benefits of all of us and not just the select few of us. The idea of the American dream or the idea that you are capable of being successful, that's what we strive for. That's why we do things, right? We want to improve our quality of life. We don't want to be living hand to mouth. That is fueled through individual choices, and it's fueled through equal opportunity. So the economic principles are designed to provide equal opportunity for people, meaning there is no distinction, or there should not be a distinction, based off of class, based off of race, right? There should not be a, a glass floor, something that, or a glass ceiling, rather, that they <laughs> got those backwards, uh, that, that prevents them based off of those things. But what was conflated in that last argument, Josh, is the idea that poor people exist and poor people are kept in poverty, right? The, the idea of uh, the poor getting poorer is not substantiated. It's, it's, oh, yes, it is. It's, hold on. It's, it's treating the economy as a zero-sum game where me being successful automatically takes away from Austin or automatically takes away from Josh. But that's not how this works. You can argue that some people are disadvantaged, and that's true. But within the economic system, there's a better opportunity for them to be able to increase their upward mobility rather than they don't they don't just automatically decrease. If they're decreasing, then a couple of things has probably happened. The first is that they they have not, whether by their own choice or based off of something that is preventing them from doing so, they have not been able to increase their standard of living. They have not been able to increase their wages. But it's not a treadmill where I stop moving and then I fall backwards. I just I, I'm not seeing where one person being successful automatically takes away from somebody else. Um, it may not, but that doesn't change the fact that there are more min minimum wage jobs are being created faster than $50,000 a year paying jobs are. So of labor that's being created and jobs that are available for people to have, more and more of them are becoming lower paid while CEO growth is happening. So that's actually a statistical fact. I, 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 that's why I say, oh, yes, it is substantiated that very literally the if you account for inflation and um, like track wage, people are on like holistically are going to be are making less and receiving less of the wealth generated. Um, and even as we like, we compare of like when wealth is made, well, where does that wealth end up going? And we see that a, um, a whole lot of it um, ends up going to, you know, the, the extremely rich. I want to say in 2017 to 2018, about 97% of the new wealth generated in America went to millionaires and billionaires alone meaning there was only 3% of the rest of the wealth that then trickled down um, to see increased wages and um, increased health benefits and such for employees. And that, you know, that's marked by um, the increase of productivity. And that's something that automation is going to make worse. I mean, since these companies view us as something to serve them, they will fire us and replace us with machines the second they are able to and lead us desperate for government benefits. And if there's no jobs available, they'll just sell exclusively to rich people who make money by owning, a, you know, ethereal stocks and speculation markets. Um, so the working class is, you know, legitimately getting poorer and our, you know, the purchasing power of an individual is decreasing. And like I said, it's very much so a 21st century uh, gilded era. 
So the reason that the poor are not getting poorer is because that argument still conflates poor people existing and rich people existing with poor people's standard of life and quality of life goes down as rich people continue to get richer. You mentioned trickle-down economics. This is actually a great point for why the capitalistic system winds up working is because when you have innovation taking place at the top, which leads to CEOs and other high-ranking individuals making more money, then the trickle-down economics is not that money immediately goes into our pocket, but rather we are indirectly and directly benefited because cost of living goes down. The cost of expenses, gas, food, building supplies, uh, my housing, it all goes down and the wages themselves go up. It doesn't mean I'm going to get a bump in my pay every single time, but I still do benefit from that. And the, But you those stats fundamentally aren't true. Housing prices and rent has increased. Inflation means minimum wage is actively going down. And the very basis of inflation is why the poor are getting poor. Because as the rich are paying themselves more, it's not like they're taking money away from the rich. You're right. It's not a zero-sum game. But in the fact that inflation A, exists, which we've already talked about, it does, and B, wages aren't increasing, the purchasing power of an individual decreases. So when we're not seeing those inflation increases, they're like legitimately losing purchasing power and getting poor while you are seeing wage increases here. So yes, it, 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 they're, they're not stealing or they're not you know taking and there's not a zero-sum, you know, that's not happening. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the fact that we're not paying people more, and paying other people more and that the total wealth generation isn't, you know, panning out equally, we're not seeing this. And yeah, rent is getting more expensive. Health insurance is getting more expensive. Car insurance is getting more expensive. Internet services are getting more expensive. Cell phones companies are getting more expensive and people's wages are increasing. And and if car prices went down, if housing prices went down, the economy would be actually in desperate shambles because we'd be deflating. And uh, contrary to a lot of people's belief, deflating currency is a much scarier thing than inflating currency. It actually almost like completely ruined Japan's economy um, in 2017, uh, where they were borderline having a deflating currency, which just wrecks um, your ability um, to trade uh, internationally. Um, and so living is getting more expensive, but people, and the most people aren't getting paid more, but a select few are getting paid more. So that is only true if we are assuming that the minimum wage is the most someone can ever possibly make. Minimum wage is the baseline. It is the bottom entry price for someone coming in. So the statement that someone's salary or their job or their the money that they're making is not increasing is not true because it, now the minimum wage isn't increasing. But when someone enters at minimum wage, what do they gain? Experience. What does experience get them? It gets them an opportunity to either leave the company for a different job or it allows them to qualify for a higher pay bump. So this is why I'm saying that trickle down economics still exists. And also why I'm saying that um, the, the job creation, minimum wage job creation in and of itself is not taking away from these people's money because or their ability to improve themselves. Two things can be true at once. People can come in at the minimum wage job and they can start there and they can also increase at the same time when they gain the experience, they improve their education, or they increase their skills. Uh, what if that is the most somebody will ever earn? Like, what if, what if I come in as a minimum wage worker and I stay there forever? Like, is that, is that okay? Like, in the hypothetical world where that happens... Um, since you're already saying that, you know, it's a beginner's position, you know, you're getting experience while you're in the position, then it, does that mean that it's not enough? Like minimum wage job was, and it's not supposed, it's not supposed to be enough, right? Like, is, is that, is that what we're, what we're saying here? Were there two questions in that one? Cause well, I, I guess, I, I guess my, my, I guess my, the, the complete question would be, since you're already saying that the purpose of the minimum wages is a beginner's position. Um, my question is like, what happens to somebody who will only ever work and, and they're like, they're already like, old. they have kids, they have responsibilities. They will only ever stay in the minimum wage position or something marginally higher. Like, uh, is, is it okay for them to stay there? So they're only going to stay in a minimum wage position. And there's a difference between staying at the same company and staying in the minimum wage at, at that level, right? Because if I start at a minimum wage and I gain experience, 
there will come a time where I will have the opportunity to be promoted to a managerial position, which comes with both skills, duties, and a pay raise. I would say that one of two things is probably happening if these people are not advancing. Either they have not improved their skill sets and therefore were not advanced, or they've chosen to stay at that position. And if they choose to stay in that exact position with the same skills and duties, if your skills are minimum wage, you get paid minimum wage. So if they have learned how to, let's just say that they're working at flipping burgers, right? That's a pretty common uh, minimum wage job. If they've been there long enough and they know the ropes, then they are very, very likely to have someone come to them and say, okay, we want to promote you to a shift lead. That comes with a little bit of a salary increase. So I would just say that you're, you're not going to see these people always staying at that position unless they choose to, or they just don't apply themselves to gain those skills. I don't think that answers Marcelo's question, though, of say they don't choose to gain those skills, say they're perfectly satisfied with their job. Are we okay with them leaving destitute because of those choices? Is that something that makes for a good and healthy society? So the key word that you mentioned there is they're happy to stay there. If they're as desperate and destitute in their financial situation, as you mentioned, they're not going to be happy and they will take it. That, that's what I'm saying. So, so you're starting them with like poverty while they're working in this job. Well, like not even poverty, they're starting with like death, basically, while they're already working at a job full time, I'm assuming, um, to gain those skills and get out of the minimum wage that they were forced to be placed in at the beginning because of the way society is structured right now. So it's like a, like a trap, basically. Like a, you're, you're asking them to get out of it because you're telling them it's not enough and you have to get out of it as soon as you can. Threatening seems to imply intent and trap seems to imply that you are un unable to move. I think part of the thing that Ryan was um, alluding to with his response earlier was that given the time to gain experience and given the opportunity to work more for, you know, you stay at a company, for example, you will eventually move up and, you know, increase your earnings and whatnot. Right. And off of that, I'm saying that they, they will not be in a position of being trapped because they'll either have the opportunity to be promoted and they will take it given the circumstances you mentioned. Right. So they are they are impoverished. This is not enough money. Hey, we have a manager job. We give you X amount increase. They should take that. I, I don't think that it's really fair to say that this person is going to choose that and that the situation itself is going to prevent them from moving up. Like, I feel like it would be one or the other. They're either going to be uncomfortable in their situation. So they will take the extra duties, the extra responsibilities and the extra money, or they'll be happy with it. I don't think you can have it both ways. So are the poor only poor because of their decisions? So that's a leading question. And I would say are the poor only poor because all they can access is minimum wage. There's a lot of contributing factors. What I'm saying is you can't claim causality without controlling for all of those factors. Right. But so they hate their living conditions. It's poor. It's destitute. They don't like it. Why are people still poor right now here in the status quo? Like if minimum wage is not as such bad as we all seem to agree, why are people working minimum wage right now in the status quo? Why haven't they chosen all of these different uh, options you've talked about? What I mentioned earlier was that you're going to have either they, they don't have the skills, they don't have the education, or they don't have the expertise. That's probably the three main reasons that they're not advancing. But this is two separate conversations. You can't claim that people are poor and that they can't possibly better themselves and that they won't better themselves. Does that make sense? Like you're not... I mean. The evidence we have on hand about the American economy right now is, again, as I said before, uh, when you are born, you are more likely to die in a lower social economic class than when you were born. That is true for most Americans, unless you were born may, born with, into a family worth more than about $5 million. Um, but if you're below, born in a family below that, you are more likely to die poor um, than your parents. Um, and that's true for most Americans. So, like, um, the American dream at that point is fervently dead. Um, and so that just then, again, still raises my question of, okay, they don't have the training, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have these things. Well, why don't they just go get them? What is in their way? Because Josh, you can better yourself. If I want the expertise and I want the skills, I take the minimum wage job. If I want the education, I go to school. If I can't afford to go to school, then I am met with the academic scholarships. There are ways to go about doing this. That's exactly so my point. Poor are only poor because of their own decisions. Like I mentioned before, Josh, you can't claim causality, just their decisions. I said there's a lot of factors. However, you are able to better yourself and move up if you wish through improving one of those three things. But do you have any statistics to actually prove that or anything to clash with the evidence I showed you that, you know, says this is not true? I've been, I've been showed you from EPI um, that the poor are getting poor, um, that 
people are more likely to die in a lower socioeconomic class than their parents. By all quantitative data we have, variable controlled, people moving up in the ability to pay raise doesn't seem to be what the truth and the real is for Americans today. So the statistical data, Josh, that you've got, you're kind of misinterpreting it. When you have the top people, the reason that they improve their wealth is because they have the disposable income to do so. So yes, that's going to be true. Absolutely. It is not the same to argue that people in the lower classes cannot advance themselves. It might be more difficult and they have a much, much harder road to get there. Absolutely. But the fact that rich people have the capital gain access to increase their wealth is not the same as showing me that the poor are decreasing in value. I mean... I mean, they are. Again, inflation exists. Minimum wage isn't rising. Uh, at 725, it would be 890 if it kept up with inflation. So very literally, we've already accepted uh, the poor are worth less today than they were in 2009. Um, but, so, I mean, we can't avoid that. But again, you are, you are predicating that argument, that last part, on them staying at the 725, not getting the increase, not getting the skill, not getting the experience or not getting the education. So yes, the value of the dollar is less, but that's still not the same as showing that the poor are getting poorer. It shows that we might see the finish line kind of moving away from incoming people, but the argument you just made still relies on the people who are currently advancing just remaining stagnant. That's why I'm saying that that statistic doesn't mean exactly what you're trying to make it mean. Hmm. Okay, then. Well, just sidestep that because I don't want to look at the evidence that, yeah, people do. do you tend, if, if you start a minimum wage lobby, you are more likely to like work minimum wage the rest of your life. Um, but even at that point of when we're, say, not tracking individuals, are we okay with having a caste system in America of economics where you said yourself it's harder and harder, where we have – um, basically an essentialist, a biological, depending on who your parents are, is how well and fairly you'll be treated by the American economy. And to me, that just seems just deeply and fundamentally like anti-American. Like our whole concept is that we can all thrive. And at the point our economic conditions are making that impossible for some people, we're not fulfilling the ideals of the people who founded this country. So a caste system comes from the idea that you are unable to escape your current situation. And you negate that point by saying that it gets harder and harder, harder, not impossible. They are capable of escaping. So what you're doing in that argument there is you're conflating what is the American dream of being successful and trying to incorporate, uh, incorporate socialistic ideals of these people I just handed the American dream. You can't take the same argument of the American dream is inachievable and also claim that it's harder like it's not well if it's only achievable by five percent of the population um it's not real but I'm so the five percent of people is only dealing with the upper wealthy you're assuming that everyone below that can't achieve the american dream or that they haven't achieved it right i i, I understand that i guess on, on one side of the of the table uh, is that just because it's not impossible, it's not impossible, obviously, everybody can achieve anything given the circumstances and like chance or whatever, like that's the American dream, I guess, and anybody can be anything, but it's harder. And it's it's fundamentally harder for people who start in a lower socioeconomic class to find that upward mobility. And just because it's not impossible doesn't mean it's fair. Um, and even if we don't want to use the value of fair, it's not equal. It's not the American ideal that all humans are born equal. And we like to act that way in terms of law. We act that, act that way in terms of uh, the government searching us, that we all have equal rights and protections and um, to certain values we consider, you know, to be fundamental. But the idea that someone, you know, um, shouldn't be forced to live off the government's aid and benefit seems you know, to be this radical idea that for some reason we can't. You would figure in the more conservative arguments that it's bad to have people living off the government, that having a legal system, an economic system that forces a class of people to live off the government would be very, very like antithetical. Like we sh like conservatives shouldn't want this position of where people are required to need government assistance to live. And again, I ask like if businesses can't pay their employees fair wages, 
Why is the government subsidizing these businesses? Let them fail and go out of business so the capitalist system can invent, you know, find a new person to come make a business that can pay their employee fair wages. Like these companies are being subsidized by the low standards of living of their employees. Why don't we let these companies fail and other good, smart capitalist people come in and make companies that can pay living wages? So what you mentioned a second ago of all people being created equal, right? Like what what we that perspective argues is that all people have the equal opportunity to pursue life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? Like that's the American dream is that you are uninhibited from pursuing those things. Not that there's not going to be any obstacles, but the entire argument you mentioned there, Josh, is all predicated on the idea of equity, not equality, because equality focuses on what is the obstacle in their path equity is going to look at, can we measure everyone exactly the same? Are we all billionaires? And the answer is going to be absolutely not. And equality also doesn't have to mean that everybody has the exact same path with the exact same obstacles. There will unequivocally be more opportunities for those with more money. Absolutely. And then to kick it back to the minimum wage, raising the minimum wage doesn't target those same issues. I I think that this would probably be good to kick over into a, a separate segment when we talk about like the capitalistic system with the the minimum wage separate um, and they do go hand in hand but you you're kind of conflating equity and equality i think and, and thank you josh for saving me with that equal i think equal is much uh more objective i guess in a way than than fair um but i, I would say that a way of trying to bring minimum wage into the conversation of what is equal and, and in my case i guess what is fair to me would be that in the minimum wage people who Working minimum wage positions are more often than not the ones at the at the bottom, the ones in the in the lower socioeconomic classes. So, if we're trying to make the argument that by raising this minimum wage, we're trying to help those who are at the bottom, because otherwise, they're not going to see their conditions improved. Um, yes, it's true that with enough uh, time, and who knows where they're going to find the time to go to school or whatever, gain those, gain those, gain that experience, that education, whatever they'll eventually get out. Um, I would say that I would be happy to see them not be so pressured to get out of there. Like, I, I feel like, and I guess in this, in the, in my ideal world, it would be a minimum wage job slash a living wage. As I, I would like to call it is a position where people are perfectly comfortable living and not wanting to, wanting to get out because they want to be more, but not wanting to get out because they don't want to be less. You know, I'm, I'm stuck on how much I like that argument of letting them fail if they can't pay, pay their employees um, fair, fair wages. Because, um, like, we have, like, banks, you know, too big to fail. Like, and we think those are really bad. Like, monopolies are really bad. Um, if McDonald's can't afford to pay its, like, company, that's an obstacle for, like, the business, you know, we are letting the business get out of like financial hardship and pass that financial hardship onto their employees. And like, again, like there are certainly like better business people, like there are business businesses all out there that pay all of their employees like fairly well and all of their employees live well. And then there are employees that take advantage of the federal minimum wage. Um, And I just ask, you know, why, why let them, I mean, let them compete. Um, you know, let them figure out how to survive in this environment of like truly providing for us. Like if the point of the job is I come and give you 40 hours of my life, you're going to give me the ability to sustain myself. Why do we accept jobs that don't give that ability to sustain oneself? Like that's just bad business people. I think again, it's going to go back to the idea of what is fair, right? Because it it kind of seems like the the argument that was posed by Marcelo and Josh is that we want to increase the the stepping stone, right? Like that was kind of Marcelo's position, if I understood correctly. We want that first one to be a good position for them to start with. And then I think, Josh, it kind of seems like you were taking it more towards um, we should have no bottom threshold, right? Like it, it, I'm not sure if you were um, building on that. or Well, kind of just to set a high enough threshold that, you know, provides, you know, people that higher stepping stone. So I agree with Marcelo there, but in the terms of, you know, this will like harm some businesses, um, like let it, if the business can't survive in the environment, if the business can't compete while properly taking care of the business, it's a bad business. Like we, as you know, people of the economy should want better businesses with better ethics and better leaders. 
I'm not sure that the employees who are employed at that business that you are advocating to go out would agree with that. And the reason that I say that is because while the, on the one hand, they would certainly want more money, they're, they're employed. They're making money, right? $7.25, $10, $15, whatever you're making an hour is better than zero. If you lose the jobs because those businesses go out, we have more people who are unemployed. And while I agree with you on the ideological aspect that, sure, of course, we should try to get people as much money as possible. They should be as comfortable as possible. The system doesn't work that way where we get to just, you know, bippity-boppity-boo our way into whatever we want the system to be. Think about the minimum wage. If I, <laughs> I wish I had Legos in my hands, but let's pretend for the sake of argument, right, that I've got a tower built out of Legos. On the bottom, that base is going to be the minimum wage, $7.25 an hour. From there, you build up. You can increase that through skills. You can increase that through education. You can increase that through experience. But your salary can go up. When you remove the base at $7.25 and you increase it, I've moved up my invisible Lego tower here for our audience out there and for my studio people. We've moved up and everything below that falls off, which means any job that was sustainable at that is gone, which means we create a filtration system for individuals to apply for. Let's say we bump it to $10 an hour. I right? kind of go between the $750 and the, the $15. $10 an hour is our minimum wage. Nothing can ever go below that. Well, if you were only qualified for minimum wage jobs, you're not going to be competitive when you're applying for a job at $10 an hour. Because as an employer, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for, well, who are my top performers? Who gave me the best bang for my buck? And I hire them first. Now you've created a shortage of jobs because you've reduced that. And then those people are just out of a job. I already said this, uh, and this is the last thing I'll say before my hot take. But Ryan, what about the five dollar jobs? You know, what about the three dollar jobs? Like, what? Like, the, the, we we had a base for this, and people are thinking about like all all the jobs that we're gonna lose if we bump it to like ten, let's say. Well, we lost a lot of jobs when we bumped it from five, from three when we made it, I and mean, we're losing a lot of jobs just by having a base. Uh, and then, so it's a trade off. It's always a trade off. Like we have a we have a floor for a reason and, and when we I'm sure when we raised it to seven people were arguing like oh well, think about all the, the six dollar jobs that we're losing yeah. like that's that's been an argument always yeah it's always a trade-off no I agree so there is always a trade-off what I'm saying is I don't think that the people who are getting the minimum wage jobs are also going to through that minimum wage job have enough disposable income for them to be able to become the billionaires it's just not going to happen it's part of the reason why they stay down in the lower percentage I'm not opposed to increasing the minimum wage. I just think that some of these trade-offs will happen. And I think you are exactly right, Marcelo, with the $3 job. Like, where is this arbitrary standard? Is that kind of what you're getting at there? Like, we've, we were able to increase it successfully before. Why not do it again? Yeah, we've been increasing it for, for I mean, I guess we haven't. And that's our argument that we haven't been increasing it. But right. um, because we have, you know, a set of standard of, where are all of those smaller jobs, like the $3 jobs that we lost when we increased it for the first time? Uh, it had to start somewhere. I think if the argument for minimum wage is to increase it so that it's, it's realigned, recalibrated with your dollar, that can function within society, right? If we move it to like eight and quarter, whatever, then that's, we've adjusted it for inflation. That's fine. Right. But to get to Josh's ideas of more of the self-actualization, the, the more success where they have more disposable income, we have to go far above that. But I absolutely agree with the recalibration so that we, we've readjusted our system to account for that. However, if I bump it to 825 or 850 or whatever it is an hour, it's still the minimum wage is still the base and should be treated as such. And it's the starting point. I'm to be clear, I'm not saying let's just drop those people down to three dollars. Uh, just, you know, screw the poor people. Don't let them advance. But I also don't think that we can make the argument that by raising it to the adjusted or even if we raise it to the 15, we're not going to see those people worked out to where they are as comfortable as someone who's not at the minimum wage job. Did that um, did that better answer the question? I'm. I'm I think old debate habits kick in uh, subconsciously I think, where I skirt and I really try very hard not to. You can, you can spread. It's fine. Uh, I'm used to it. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I think, I, I, think um, I guess, uh, I'm, I, think, I think I'm just happy that we can all agree that we m might have to tie this to inflation before, it gets, we, before we have this conversation in 11 years and it's still at 725. <laughs> and we're like, well, now it's like, you know. No, it's, and it's already bad, but it, it's going to get worse. Unfortunately, yes, that's exactly right.
Um, and this is kind of where when I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we'll probably have some overlap. I think people should be able to, you know, that, that dollar should be aligned correctly. Um, absolutely. I just think that the minimum wage job cannot and should not be treated as kind of the, the epitome. So I kind of disagree with Marcel a little bit on that. Uh, minimum wage, I don't think, is designed to be your salary job. All right, we will be uh, right back after this. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back for our hot takes. All right, welcome back for our hot takes on the minimum wage. Josh, I'll kick it over to you. So I think a lot of the times when we think about minimum wage, it comes down to how we think about the economy. So I am a graduate student and assistant speech and debate coach uh, down here at the University of Mississippi, and I could not do my job without um, facility uh, services or our custodial staff. They could not do their jobs without engineers to design their tools. Those engineers could not do their tools without electricians, those Electricians could not do their, you know, jobs without a lumber yard to supply them handles for those tools. So in this sense, I don't view the production of the economy as ever tied to a singular person rather than a collective network of people. Every single job contributes in its own unique way, or at least theoretically it does, or because it has to serve some sort of purpose in the capitalist economy to produce the whole. And in such that everyone has need of the whole of production of humanity and that everyone works and contributes in their own way to the production of the humanity, individual appropriation then is unfit. All make all and all need all, therefore all belongs to all. We're not individuals. A CEO could not do his, their, their job without a custodial staff, without um, people who clean the streets, without these low-paid jobs. Like as much as they are dependent upon the CEO to, you know, run the company, the CEO is dependent upon them to work the company. The, um, you know, factory depends upon its workers to come in to put the hours. Without the workers, none of the business gets done. So that is, all, you know, all to say that humanity is one big network, and none of us are better than the other. None of us are worse than the other. And to that extent, our collective production belongs to everyone. Um, so my hot take of the day is all belongs to all. All deserves all. All right. It seems to me that a lot of the values thrown around are admittedly arbitrary. And I'm not sure to the extent setting the minimum wage at an arbitrary higher value would solve the problems that we are seeing today. While I would definitely agree with the point that Marcelo raised earlier, we could certainly raise the minimum wage to keep pace with inflation if we were going to choose the arbitrary current value of $7.25 per hour. It seems that a lot of these discussions regarding the government stepping in to help, if we want to use very broad terminology, diminish some of the initiative and input of the individual. A lot of these discussions, a lot of the arguments for the minimum wage seem to be predicated on people not being able to um, move between economic levels. And I think that we need to be viewing some of these um, discussions more on the scope that not so much of the collective, but of these individuals themselves and making sure that everyone has the ability and the resources to be able to improve themselves, whether through gaining experience in a job they choose to start with, gaining education, um, which is highly available through resources today like the internet, et cetera. I, I guess just to tie up this fairly lukewarm take, I'm not sure that the minimum wage would solve the problems that we're seeing, but at the moment, it does seem to be a necessary evil, so to speak. So for me, thanks, Josh, for bringing, uh, I feel like I need to also have sort of a lukewarm take, uh, but I'm also very excited that this seems to be the my biggest episode yet because most people have agreed with my idea that minimum wage should be kept up with inflation. So that's great. That's a point for me and for everyone, I guess, really. One of my hot takes is one that Josh mentioned. I just want to bring back. Uh, if any of your workers need food stamps, then you deserve to go under. That's the hot take. I guess in, in <laughs> sort of like, I guess a, a big, a, a broader one would be that I feel that minimum wage or whatever it is, like the lowest, if you don't want to call it that, then the lowest a company can pay uh, a worker without it being illegal. Uh, that number, I feel like in some ex 
aspects should be enough for a comfortable life. If I never want to go to school, if I never want to do anything, just, I don't know, pick up boxes in uh, like anywhere. If I want to like, I guess, fry burgers, if I want to like do anything, all of those skills, which by the way, I don't know how to do, uh, that should be able to sustain you perfectly fine and like give you a, a life that you would be okay with. I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I don't expect that most people to be okay with it, I guess, but I don't know. And I, I guess my final point is that it, you, you shouldn't see, or I guess I wouldn't want to see minimum wage to be still seen as this idea of like, this is a beginner's step, this is a stepping stone, this is the, there's always something next. Because for some people, not everyone, but for some people, that's, that's all they'll ever do. And, and, and I would like to see that not stepping stone as just a stone where you can lay down and, and chill. Like that's, that's what I want to see. Okay, so I'm going to start my hot take by acknowledging the inflation adjustment that I think is necessary. I, I think that if it wasn't verbally stated, there were heads nodded all the way around on adjusting so that your dollar is worth the dollar. With that, I transition into my hot take of, I think there's a very large difference between an adjusted minimum wage and an actualized minimum wage. And by actualized, I mean Maslow's hierarchy when you reach the self-actualization portion, when you continue to increase your potential and you're no longer um, just trying to survive. If we look at the bottom of that pyramid, you've got food, water, shelter, reproduction bare minimums. And I think that there's a big difference between a job designed to achieve those things and one that is designed to help you self-actualize. And while I completely agree with Marcelo's um, underlying statement that these people should not be demeaned, they are essential workers. I think Josh mentioned that as well. They have value. However, I don't believe that the minimum wage job has the same weight as the other positions, simply because it doesn't carry the same amount of responsibility. It doesn't carry the same skill set. In its essence, minimum wage is the bare minimum. It is the minimum that someone should be paid. And I absolutely agree with Marcelo that um, if if you're on food stamps because the minimum wage doesn't meet a bare basic standard of living, let them go out of business. But I also think it's important to clarify that that's not usually what's happening. People who are on food stamps could be for a, a large variety of reasons, including unemployment. And I think that there's a distinction that needs to be drawn between a livable wage in which I can exist and I don't die and one where I get to be as comfortable as I want. Because that creeps over into the self-actualization portion, you are not guaranteed a cell phone. You are not guaranteed internet. You, you know, these are not fundamental rights. They're things that people should have. And in an advanced society, it's great to have them. But I would draw that distinction. And that's why I would say that we should adjust, but the wage should not be actualized. You increase your standard um, within the economy based off of your education, your experience, and your expertise. This creates a level of scarcity. If you are a high-ranking individual in a company where you provide the intellectual power, you can and should be paid more than the individual who comes in and is the, the, the cog in the wheel is a very crude example. But in essence, the more replaceable you are, the less you're going to be paid. Treated as a human being? Absolutely. Paid enough to live? Absolutely. Beyond that, though, I would say that it should be treated as a stepping stone. All right, that is our hot takes. You heard it here, and I'm sure you fall somewhere between the liars, and we'll catch you back here uh, next week.